Chapter Eight of Religion and Health. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simona Russo. Religion and Health by James Joseph Walsh. Chapter Eight, Part One. Mortification. Mortification is a word with an interesting etymology. It means literally the dying, or more properly the putting to death of one part of an animal body, while the rest is alive. From this it has come to mean, to quote the Century Dictionary, the act of subduing the passions and appetites by penance, abstinence, or painful severities inflicted on the body. It has had this signification from the very earliest times of Christianity, for the early fathers spoke of dying to self to have a higher and a nobler life it is used exactly in this sense in the old medieval latin as well as by the first great prose writer in modern english sir thomas more for he spoke of the mortification of the fleshly workies in just this signification after all our recent poet laureate when in memoriam he summed up so much of the current thought of our time expressed the same ideas as the earlier religious authorities when he said that we rise on stepping stones of our dead selves to higher things it was a favorite idea of the greeks of the classical period that the way to get most out of life was to repress the body and give the mind and soul a chance aristotle said the vanities of the world are a hindrance to the soul and he paraphrased by anticipation the expression which came to mean so much during the war that our rising generation learned the precious lesson that there are things in life worth more than life itself when he said tis better for the soul's sake to suffer death than to lose the soul for the love of his life socrates has said before him a wise man ought to look as carefully to his soul as to his body and plato going straight to the point declared whoso desireth the life of his soul ought to mortify the body and give it trouble in this world no one knew better than plato that the desire of having things did more than aught else to make the higher life impossible he did not hesitate to say, and the expression constitutes one of the most striking commentaries on our time that we could have, the soul is lost that delighteth in covetousness. Pythagoras, long before the group of the classical period, had said, Order thyself so that thy soul may always be in good estate, whatsoever become of thy body it would be easy to find almost as many expressions commanding mortification among the old greek philosophers as among the fathers of the church plato said he obeyeth many that obeyeth his body and aristotle said he that hath bound himself to follow his fleshly delights is more bound than any caitiff which after all is only another way of wording plato's expression the worst bondage is to be subject to vices seneca five centuries afterwards in rome declared too much liberty turneth into bondage doubtless imitating 
as he did so often, Euripides, who declared, Better it is to be free in heart and bond in name than to be free in name and bond in heart. In spite of this very respectable ancient lineage, which would indicate an agreement for many centuries among thoughtful people that mortification has a definite place in life, many in our time seem inclined to think that the idea underlying the word is a mistake and that the virtue attributed to it does not actually work out in practice hence mortification is at present considered by a good many to be only one of the good old ways of life evolved in an earlier day when men were less capable of judging of the significance of things than they are now but which humanity ought to set definitely back in the lumber room of discarded notions now that an era of really rational development of humanity has come the old-fashioned idea that in this way the passions can be controlled is looked upon as a sort of worn-out superstition good enough for people who did not know as much as we do and who did not understand as we have come to understand the profounder psychology of humanity we are apparently quite sure in our time that sweet reasonableness must be the only rule for mankind and that anything so crude as self-inflicted suffering is not needed by generations which have not sounded the depth of human nature as we have done nothing is commoner than to read tiredness of various kinds against the practices of mortification that were in vogue in the older times a great many writers who think themselves well informed feel assured that the people of the older time performed the most difficult acts of penance and inflicted intense self-suffering on themselves with no other purpose in view than to curry favour with the almighty quite as if they felt that the creator delighted in the suffering of his creatures they do not seem to realize at all the real reason why the older peoples thought such self-inflicted suffering might be looked upon with favour from on high was that the efforts required to perform these acts strengthen they will so as to enable them to repress their passions and inordinate desires and to control the tendencies to do wrong which are in every nature and which require constant watching and subjection or they prove extremely difficult to master before the war when the world generally was rather inclined to take a good deal of its psychology from germany the scoffing tone with regard to mortification was particularly rife in academic circles while other nations as a rule did not adopt the german idea of the superman they were usually much more tinctured with that teaching that they suspected nietzsche's great teaching was that a man must follow his instincts and develop his personality to the highest regardless of the consequences to others one of his famous parables is that of the soft coal and the diamond the soft coal is heard complaining to the diamond we are brothers why then do you scratch me and the diamond replies since we are brothers how is it that i can scratch you why are you not as hard as i am and then all would be well between us and nietzsche's conclusion was for i preach to you a new doctrine be ye hard as germany had more professors of psychology than any other nation it is easy to understand why far-reaching influence her teaching had 
a very few were conservative but most were radical and the only consolation that we have now is to realize that the nation which had the most professors of psychology least understood the minds of men as was demonstrated very clearly by the egregious blunders which the german government made with regard to the neutral nations during the course of the war the modern psychologists who have thought most deeply about human nature do not share at all the superlicious contempt for mortification and even the habit of performing frequent acts of self-repression though they may cost effort and suffering which so many thoughtless people are ready to express professor william james who was surely not at all a medievally minded individual and who is recognized as one of the leaders of thought in modern psychology did not hesitate to express his conclusions on this matter in a paragraph that should be very well known as a fine practical maxim relative to these habits of the will we may then offer something like this keep the faculty of effort alive in you by a little gratuitous exercise every day that is be systematically ascetic or heroic in little unnecessary points do every day or two something for no other reason than that you would rather not do it so that when the hour of dire need draws nigh it may find you not unnerved and untrained to stand the test asceticism of this sort is like the insurance which a man pays on his house and goods the tax does him no good at the time and possibly may never bring him a return but if the fire does come his having paid it will be his salvation from ruin so with the man who has daily inured himself to habits of concentrated attention energetic volition and self-denier in unnecessary things he will stand like a tower when everything rocks around him and when his softer fellow-mortals are winnowed like chaff in the blast above all in youth there is need of enduring hard things in order to form character and enable people to control themselves and deny themselves this is sometimes supposed to be a medieval idea but goethe with all his leaning toward the ways of the old greeks and his liking even for the olympian religion did not hesitate to say that the most important thing in the world for a man was self-denial entbehren sollst du sollst entbehren you must deny yourself must deny yourself there is only one way to do this and that is to practice it by a succession of acts until it becomes habitual the great world teacher of this practice is and has always been religion sacrifice has been preached as the very essence of christianity to many people it may seem as though mortification that is the practice of doing a series of things that are hard to do and even painful to accomplish in order to increase one's power over oneself may be beneficial and even necessary for weak characters but that surely strong men and women can dispense with any such artificial support of their personalities such an expression must probably be considered an excuse that enables people to escape the difficulties and self-denial of practices of mortification but not at all as a real reason some of the strongest men who have ever lived 
have recognized the necessity for the insurance policies of little acts of supererogation that require real will power to accomplish in order to keep their strength of character at its top notch of efficiency probably few men in history have ever had a stronger character than sir thomas more all his life he was noted for the absolute purity of his motives and the thoroughgoing righteousness of his life he is the only man in the history of england who ever cleared the docket of the court of chancery he was the first lay lord chancellor that english ever had the opportunities for using his high office for his own benefit are well illustrated by the expression of lord campbell who declared of more in his lives of the lord chancellors i am indeed reluctant to take leave of sir thomas more not only from his agreeable qualities and extraordinary merits but from my abhorrence of the mean sordid unprincipled chancellors who succeeded him and made the latter half of the reign of henry the eighth the most disgraceful period in our annals nearly a hundred years after moore's death when lord bacon was impeached by the english parliament he made us the excuse for having taken bribes that he was the best lord chancellor that england had had for fifty years very probably he was no one knew that better than he yet sir thomas more had gone unscathed through the fire of temptations such as these to which every lord chancellor for a hundred years afterward yielded but more went farther and when it was a question of conscience he died for what he felt was the right it did not matter to him that others had been able to compound with their consciences he even told the jury that condemned him that he hoped to meet them in heaven but right was right and even death was not too high a price to pay for its fulfilment one of moore's practices at times during his life had been the wearing of hair shirt even when in prison and god knows the tower of london with the shadow of the scaffold hanging over it would seem to be mortification enough he wore his hair shirt and it was found among his possessions after his death i suppose to-day after a generation of contemptuous scoffing at mortification it may be necessary to explain to many people what a hair shirt is it is a very coarse undergarment woven of hair to be worn next to the skin and the discomfort of the skin surface is so great that until one gets a little used to it one can scarcely think of anything else except the constant irritation it was a very common practice to wear it in the middle ages and we have the story of one mother who felt that perhaps nothing would do her boys more good than to learn to stand something like this in order that they might be able to withstand youth's temptations she was mabel rich the mother of edmund of canterbury who has come to be looked upon as one of the great characters of english history for years he suffered in exile rather than give up to the king the rights of his people and the church this great scholar professor of oxford that he was and leader among men who might have had all sorts of favours from the king had he yielded spent fifteen years in poverty and hardships rather than yield a point of conscience 
he tells that when he and his elder brother went off to the university where they were to be gone for four or five years their mother packed with their clothes a hair shirt for each of them she asked them to wear them occasionally for her sake and to remember that they had to stand many things in life in order to keep on the right path this london tradesman's wife of the early thirteenth century knew as well as any city mother in modern times the dangers her boys were going to encounter and which they would have to go through successfully or lose health of soul and body there is apt to be a feeling in many minds that these problems have only come to be realized in our day but that is due only to failure to project our knowledge of human nature into the past mabel rich like a good sensible mother did not make a hysterical appeal that might cause her boys to feel her fear that they could not keep right but she asked them partly for her sake but mainly for religious motives to submit to voluntary suffering sometimes so that they might have the strength to bear any temptation that came to them edmund of canterbury declared toward the end of his life that he owed more to his mother and her example and training for whatever his character had enabled him to accomplish in life than to any other single factor in the chapter on purity i have quoted distinguished authorities in psychology who insist that the one way to strengthen the young man and the young woman against the allurements of impurity and thus help them to avoid the extremely serious dangers to health involved in yielding to such temptations is to have them practice self-denial in little things mortifications of one kind or another are to be undertaken and the young folks build up self-control by the doing of things which are hard though not obligatory with the one idea of enabling them to perform even harder things in self-control whenever it may be necessary there are some who seem to think that such practices may weaken men's powers of accomplishment as it personally might be impaired by self-control but there is no reason to think that forster the well-known german writer on ethics knowing well how much contempt has been thrown on asceticism in recent years did not hesitate to say that the fear of weakness is all due to a misunderstanding the ascetic is not a stunted human being who has mutilated himself or prevented his development lest by any chance he might wander so far away from the path of his heavenly home that he might not get back asceticism has for its derivation the greek verb askeo which means to exercise that is not to decrease but to increase power the ascetic exercises his will power so that he will be able to follow the straight path that he wants to tread no matter how many difficulties present themselves to him no matter how steep the hills he will not turn aside to the pleasanter paths that lead so gently downward because he wants to carry on professor forrester said asceticism should be regarded not as a negation of nature nor as an attempt to extirpate natural forces but as practice in the art of self-discipline its object should be to show humanity what the human will is capable of performing to serve as an encouraging example of the conquest of the spirit over the animal self 
the contempt which has been poured upon the idea of asceticism in recent times has contributed more than anything else toward effeminacy nothing could be more effective in bringing humanity back to the best traditions of manhood than a respect for the spiritual strength and conquest which is symbolized in ascetic lives with regard to that anxiety of mothers to help their boys and girls in the very serious matters of sex temptation which has become so prominent a social feature in recent years forrester has a passage that is well worth putting before every mother there are plenty of modern mothers who are aware of the necessity for instruction in matters relating to sex and who are perhaps anxiously awaiting the suitable moment it is a great deal more important however that they should make their children acquainted with what sailor called the strategy of the holy war that they should train them every now and then to deny themselves some favorite article of food or to accomplish some heroic conquest of indolence or to practice themselves in ignoring pain the outstanding feature of sexual education should not be an explanation of the sex functions but an introduction to the inexhaustible power of the human spirit and its capacity for dominating the animal nature and controlling its demands joseph de mestre once said everything that hinders a man strengthens him many a man of thirty years of age is capable of successfully resisting the allurements of a beautiful woman because at the age of five or six he was taught voluntarily to give up a toy or a sweet mortification in little things seems to many people too trivial in its effects to be of any real significance if there is anything in the world that has been brought home to us in medicine in the modern era it is that little things count immensely microbes so small that we not only cannot see them but never hope to be able to increase the powers of the microscope in such a way as to be able to get a sight of them may cause the most serious epidemics one of these ultra-microscopic microbes is probably the cause of infantile paralysis which we know to have been in existence over five thousand years because the mummy of a princeling of one of the early dynasties in egypt shows that its possessor suffered from it as a child another of the ultramicroscopic microbes is perhaps the cause of influenza which carried off in a few months more victims among young people than the greatest war in human history did in over four years no wonder that little things count in the moral order then since they may mean so much in the physical order whenever anything affects living beings then it cannot be counted small end of chapter eight part one